1: Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Thursday, August 10th. Where does the summer go? 2023. Alistair Crook uh, joins us now from the hills uh, of central Italy. Alistair, always a pleasure. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, You have a very interesting piece out this morning or soon to be out uh, about has the war uh, shifted from the so-called spring to so-called summer offensive to a war on the Black Sea. But before we get to that, uh, sources have reported uh, to us just early this morning uh, that the Polish government has removed the numerous Ukrainian flags that had been flying around the Polish uh, parliament building and other government uh, buildings in Warsaw. Um, Now this is just symbolic, but there must be some substance behind the
2: symbolism. What are your thoughts? Well, you're quite right, there has been a shift. Something is changing, and and that is there have been really quite bad feelings expressed, first of all from Kiev, about um, Poland and about that, you know, if there's going to be uh, an involvement with Poland, it would be strictly temporary. And that didn't go down too well in Poland. And so there's been a a tit for tat. Uh, Relations are souring. There's no doubt of that. But also there's another thing that is taking place which may be affecting it and which is that the polls, I mean the polls, polling of people, polls, the polling in, in Poland is showing no real support um, for government's position on either going in or taking a position in, 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 in Ukraine, particularly amongst the young. So while there's general sympathy for Ukrainians, in a, in a, if you like, humanitarian sense. There is almost no support, really, very little support. And elections are coming up very shortly in, in Poland. So I think this explains why there's uh, tenseness between the two at the moment. So the Polish
1: government, which had, uh, as we say in the West, uh, an itchy trigger, trigger finger, which has 90,000 troops at the Polish... Ukrainian border intermingled uh, among and training with 40,000 American troops from the vaunted 101st uh, airborne. Uh, The government, which uh, seemed very bellicose in its words, is now seeing the handwriting on the wall that if it expects to stay in office, the Polish public is not interested in or supportive of their bellicosity.
2: Is that a fair summary? Fair summary. Fair summary, that's right. And I don't think the, there's any the appetite pol- in Europe for, for for their ambitions.
1: What was the bellicosity uh, based on? I mean, do the Poles fear that former uh, Russian president Medvedev's threat to march all the
2: way to the Polish border is serious? Uh, I don't think it's so much. I mean, I uh, they don't know what Russian intentions are going to be. No one is, is sure of that. But I think they're mostly concerned about the domestic situation. Um, As I say, the the popularity of this government is fading very fast. And Ukraine is at the center of it. And these plans that they have, I don't think there will be uh, great support from European NATO for some sort of safe zone that the Poles might like to try and instigate in Poland following the sort of Libyan precedent. I don't think Europeans, I mean, can see the writing on the wall. The offensive has failed. Um, The the, the military forces of Ukraine are severely depleted in in many different dimensions. So they can see that. And they don't want the poles to start it all off again because um, where would it go? I mean, it's not going to, there's not going to be a sudden breakthrough because the Poles institute, uh, it's, it's purely about Polish politics and Germany is opposed to it very strongly because it is jealous of Poland and does not want to see Poland becoming, um, if Poland took all of the parts of Ukraine and Belarus that theoretically they would like to take, that would make them bigger than Germany. Hmm. You can imagine Germany is not so keen on, on that. And, and yet and
1: yet Germany, we'll play the, we'll play the clip in a minute. Uh, Germany is uh, sending, I think, 30 more of those uh, enormous uh, leopard tanks to Poland. I mean, Colonel McGregor might say it's too little, too late, but 30, is it a significant number or is it just symbolic?
2: Well, I've seen that they've had to buy them off an arms dealer. Oh, they're the leopard one, and they old, old leopard tanks, and they they're trying to buy them off an arms dealer that had them in storage, and then they're going to refurbish them and theoretically send. Look, I mean, the mood in Germany is changing so rapidly, um, and again, you know, the uh, antipathy towards this conflict is growing. I mean, the government is in serious trouble now, um, and you know, four out of five. Um, uh, Germans uh, are not supporting this coalition or the government. It's it's the the, the polling is changing dramatically. Scholz is still trying to play between you know Biden on one hand and you know and Brussels and trying to keep everyone happy, but he's not keeping the German public happy, and that's becoming very very evident. He might be keeping um, uh, President Zelensky happy. Here's.
1: President Zelensky yesterday coming one step short of blowing an air kiss toward uh, Chancellor Scholz. Watch this. Today we
0: have good news from Germany, exactly what we agreed upon with Olaf Scholz. We have additional Patriot launching stations. I thank Germany and Mr. Chancellor personally for fulfilling this agreement. It will definitely save thousands of lives of our people. It will definitely bring us closer to creating a full-fledged sky shield for Ukraine. We work to ensure that our defenders of the sky have more air defense systems and missiles for them. Our entire territory needs much more air defense systems than we have now. I have no doubt that F-16S will be in our skies. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: I, guess, I guess it's, uh, it's uh, symbolic, not substantive. These things have been sitting around in storage and not even owned by, uh, by the German government, and he's actually... They're like Leopard 1, it.
2: not Leopard 2s even. They're very old things and they're not very effective and they will need to be put in order before they can really reach it. Look, as Zelensky's talking to his public. I mean, he's trying to, keep, trying to keep from being thrown out of office, I suspect, more than anything. I mean, the mood is pretty brittle in Ukraine because you know, the troops see where things are. And they see that they're being sent off, you know, for what? To die for some forlorn cause of trying to sort of breach Russian defense line, which is never going to happen in their view. And so there's a great deal of unhappiness. There have been even entire brigades refusing to, to, to sign, even though the consequences, to, to obey orders, even though the consequences are dire there for it. So, I mean, that was it. And the sky zone is just, you know, I heard what others have said about it, but I understand what he's talking about really is a no-fly zone. We've had no-fly zones in Iraq. We've had no-fly zones over, uh, over you know, Syria. He wants a no-fly zone so that, you know, Russia will not be able well, to... Well, who, who or what could possibly enforce that? Only absolute dominance of the airspace by the United States and NATO, and even then, it's problematic because Russia has by far the best air defences in the world at this stage. And it's uh, and one of the reasons you don't have no fly zone <laughs> over Ukraine is because it's not possible to enact it. It would take us into war with Russia, but it would you know the Russians would prevail in terms of the air power the americans could not create could not escalate to a point of air domination as they have tried to do in other in other places those days have gone they're over an the old era that is past
1: has recognized that the spring offensive, which morphed into the summer offensive, has failed, utterly yes. failed.
2: Yeah, they do. And I notice what's quite striking about it is they suddenly turned on the Americans. Just as the Americans have now turned on, uh, on Kiev and on um, the Ukrainians for not having, following their training and their message and their doctrine about how to win this war, and they say they made a mess of it. Now, the Ukrainians are, 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 are hitting back and saying, Well, you promised, you promised things, and where are they? You know, it's fine for you to say they're coming, but it's too late if you don't produce them now. I mean, there's some, some merit in this argument. You can understand they feel like that as they see their troops being decimated, some 43,000, according to Russian figures, simply in, in, since the, this offensive started recall that of those that, you know, were being trained and everything for this offensive was only 60,000 troops in all. So, I mean, no wonder they are uh, feeling touchy about it, but now there's conflict between America. Things are changing and the Americans are shifting. It hasn't, I think, become settled, but there's a very clear line appearing in the mainstream media in the United States and reflected in Europe, you know, it's over, it's finished, it's not going to work the offensive, it's now accepted as reality. And now from that, we're getting the second part, which is also the sense that, well, what's the point of negotiations? Because the whole idea of this was that it would be after an offensive. Putin would be on the back foot and then they would have put forward and they would say, let's sit down and negotiate from a position of Ukrainian strength, and um, if you like, virtual capitulation on the part of Russia, and this hasn't worked out, and ah. so that strategy is not functioning any longer. Gary, uh, can you get the uh, uh, the clip of
1: President uh, Zelensky speaking as if the uh, return of Crimea uh, is a foregone conclusion? Uh, take a look at uh, take a look at this, uh, Alastair. This is about as unrealistic as you can imagine. Today, I
0: held a meeting on the content of our return policy, specifically regarding Crimea and its reintegration. It is obvious that after the liberation of Crimea from occupation, economic opportunities, personal security for people, and a sense of real freedom, which has not been there since 2014, will return there. But all of this should not be just abstract. Every detail of the deoccupation of Crimea should have a specific meaning. How exactly normal life returns, what exactly this means for Crimea and for all our people. This should be clear to everyone. Step by step, we are making the deoccupation of Crimea more and more achievable and well thought out.
1: We're worse, worse than making a promise um, uh, that is dishonest is making a promise that
2: cannot be kept. Yes, and it's not about that. He knows perfectly well, everyone knows it, and this is the problem when there was a Jeddah meeting, when they had the Global South came together and Jake Sullivan and others came to address them just a few days ago, it was always scheduled that this would follow a successful offensive and this would be the time that they push the Global South to come closer to Washington and support the Ukrainian 10-point peace plan. But it didn't go like that. The Global South reacted against it and said, listen, this this peace process, this 10-point plan, is for the birds. It has no chance of being secure. And furthermore, we won't come to any more of your meetings unless Russia's present at it. This, and finish with this stuff. And so uh, part of that 10-point plan, of course, hinges entirely around Crimea. And so what we just saw Zelensky trying to do, is trying to resuscitate and say, Look, my plan is not that you know we this is the plan still, because the representative of Kiev at that Jeddah agreement at meeting conference virtually said, well yes it it won't fly um, uh, and then when he got back, Kiev said, Yes, there's no change on the ten point plan. you know this is the plan, total withdrawal by Russia, total removal of forces." total restoration, Russian leadership to come to trial and a Nuremberg trial, including Putin, be tried, Russia to pay full reparations for, for any damage caused during the war. And you know, the Global South said, come on, I mean, this, this, this won't work, this won't work. And so he's really just trying to sort of justify the plan and say, no, we're still with this plan, even though everyone can see that it's, it's just not working. So
1: has the um, uh, Spring Offensive, the failed Spring Offensive, been translated to the Black Sea about which you have recently written?
2: Yes, I mean, it's open to really important questions because uh, there have been, uh, if you like, a largely unseen war taking place the bombing of certain Danube ports, which are Ukrainian ports, but which sit opposite NATO, Romania. I mean, a NATO power literally a few meters on the other side of the river is a NATO um, state. But Ukraine has a couple of ports. Uh, Russia withdrew from the grain deal. Uh, And to make it clear that this was, they were resolved in this matter. They bombed one of those. Um, if you like, Danube ports. Uh, and then there's been a tit-for-tat, which ultimately ended in the attack, which I think everyone has seen or read about, but it, there were others in the meantime, but the ones on Novorossiysk, which is a major port, Russia's commercial port, mm. large quantities of oil pass through it, goods pass through it, 400 million tons a year. This is a major and has been a major port, for a long time, and so the attack on a, a tanker, a civilian tanker, and a naval landing craft. In those, the question is: Was this NATO? Was NATO behind this? Was this? I mean, if you like, not just facilitated, but um, furnished and supported with NATO intelligence. And is this, is by this NATO? another? Is this another Nord Stream pipeline? Well. If it gets out of hand, um, precisely, it's dangerous because you know uh, an attack like this is no small matter on Russia's main trading port in the Black Sea on these attacks by, um, if you like, what we call maritime drones. These are sophisticated drones. It's very unlikely, in my view, that Ukraine would have either had them or managed them without either the Americans or British being directly involved and perhaps giving the guidance. Because as you saw, they had a video of the actual moment of the attack. And the drones, there they are. There you go. And they're doing a little bit of correction here and a little bit of correction there, which suggests either there's someone very close by that is feeding in these directions or there's someone overhead in it. In a in a, in, in, a um, in an airplane that is giving these directions.
1: so if so, this was NATO paid for NATO facilitated and, and maybe NATO carried out, wouldn't uh, Russian intelligence know that?
2: Yes, I think this is what's going on. Does uh, uh, I mean they're investigating where did it come from? Where, the, where were those things that you've just shown? Where were they launched from Romania? because Ukrainian ports have just been severely damaged by Russia in this period. Where were they, Where was their origin? Was there a mothership there? How much? Who was controlling this thing and where? These are not easy weaponry to use, and there are really barely sort of a very few nation states that have this expertise. So, but what does it mean for Russia? Does this mean and this is the question, does this mean that as a war fails on the ground in Ukraine, uh, that the West is sort of pivoting towards a new form of a longer term attrition against Russia by striking at its, if you like, sea routes, at its um, ability to function in trading terms? And are we seeing a new war of that also, which might involve longer range cruise missiles um, Zelensky is asking for this German cruise missile the Taurus which has 500 kilometer range instead of the 300 kilometer range of the storm shadows, the British storm shadows or the French scalp. So really almost getting to Moscow but I, are we seeing a different mode of war one if you like being wound down, one being backed down one being shut down the, the war, the land war if you like, in Ukraine, and instead a new form of attrition starting up? I think this is the question. And so what does Russia do? Does it hit back hard, both on the ground in Ukraine, and does it hit back against NATO in some you know, calibrated way to send a, a message to NATO? No, we are not going to play this game. If you want to do this game, you risk going to full real war, in which case who's more vulnerable? our supply lines or your supply lines, because it would be your tankers as well that would be attacked, your supply lines, and think what that would do to your rate of inflation in the United States in an election year.
1: So as I understand it, the uh, Ukrainian grain uh, is shipped to Turkey where it's ground into flour, and that flour, which is high quality and in, in copious amounts, is sold all over uh, Europe. And yet, uh, Vladimir Putin, in uh, response to the attack on the uh, Russian ship that we just uh, showed, flattened the Ukrainian um, grain storage facilities at the ports.
2: Correct. And he did that because he wanted, he's been saying all the time, and the message never gets through, Europe isn't it keeping the other part of the deal, which was if we allow Ukrainian grain to be exported, then Russian grain has to be allowed to be exported and Russian fertilizer too, otherwise this won't hold. And the European haven't kept their end of this bargain and he's had enough of it, especially as he feels it's also been abused for the purposes of smuggling in weapons into Ukraine. So he said, I'm finished. And just so that you understand it, he collapsed the grain silos in one port on the Danube. And then subsequently, the second one, Izium, which was a bigger port.
1: Just to switch gears uh, for a moment, uh, Niger, what's going on there? And what is the Russian uh, behavior and the Russian goals in Africa?
2: Well, uh, the, the Russian goals are not to be involved in this. They've been very careful to to, to stay uh, 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 aloof from this. Don't forget they condemned it. I mean, they don't support the uh, uh, the coup that has taken place there, uh, and they are trying to act in, through diplomacy to stop it. Now, the Western view is that they want to turn this into a victory in the Cold War and say, "Ah, oh, well, Russia's getting involved, Russia's arriving and that therefore, you know, this is another front in the Cold War. There are, look, there are uh, 1,500 French troops there, there are a 1,000 American troops in Niger. Um, there are no Russians. There are no Russian um, Wagner forces. There was a big story made out by the West that Aleutian transport plane arriving was carrying um, uh, Wagner troops to Niger. And it turns out the the video was from 2006. It was fake. So, I mean, there's no no sign of that at all. But I do think that there's a great desire because we keep hearing Wagner, 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 as if they're taking part in it. And there's no nothing yet. But it may explode soon, and it will be very difficult because the West African states are divided, really down the middle, and it might be uh, a struggle. And who knows what will happen in Paris if it really e- erupts um, with uh, France, as um, Sarkozy, as um, the Prime Minister, Kren has suggested that they will do um, some aerial bombing uh, of the um, of Niger. Do you
1: have a uh, finger on the pulse? of the European public, maybe the Italian public, since you uh, are in Italy at the moment, uh, for NATO support for Ukraine, is it is it waning or is it just something going on in the distance that they don't want to think about?
2: No, it's it suddenly, I mean, many things are suddenly touching the, the European consciousness. I, I'm not saying that there's a, a transformation and I think it's deeper in the United States in many ways than it is in Europe because our press, paradoxically, is more controlled than you have in the U.S., but um, it, no, it is. The Ukraine is affecting it, but above all, you know, prices, inflation, the the, the way of living is collapsing for, for many. I mean, many Italians are on the poverty line. I think 7 million Italians are now mm-hmm. on the poverty line because they can't afford the food any longer. I mean, in the shops, the prices—whatever the statistics, forget it. The prices are really, really high. And they're looking at the United States, and they see, you know, the, the United States in a certain sense, you know, in this sort of unraveling, in you know, political unraveling, where it's you know facing an impasse in some respects between all of the parties, I'm wondering and fearing how this is going to impact uh, on Europe. Um, both politically and in terms of you know, the wider changes that are taking place. But at the same time, and I just want to say that to you, is um, uh, I don't see the means to bring about a change so much in Europe. I think people are looking to America, to some trends in America, actually to help bring America, Europe out of the hole that it's dug for itself. Last
1: uh, question or last uh, subject matter. Uh, do you see an off ramp for Joe Biden? Would it be something as extreme as nuclear weapons or some other way to get out of this? Uh, I should before... be asked to
2: use this question. <laughs> yeah. <I think>
1: because... <laughs> You're such an astute observer, uh, Alistair. Is some way I to get out of this
2: mess what? before November of 2024. I think, you know, I think it's going to be very hard for him to get out of this mess uh, without humiliation. And I, that's why I think this this Black Sea thing deserves to be watched, because, you know, they may try and sort of shift it and say, well, we're going to weaken Russia by, you know, these periodic attacks on its shipping and, and the airplanes, you know, flying um, cruise missiles on on bridges. That, The French are about to have given them the, uh, which struck a bridge near Crimea again. This sort of, um, if you like, remote Cold War. First of all, I don't think it's going to work. The Russians will retaliate and the Russians will escalate if they do this. And I think this is the big thing we have to watch, both in terms of on the ground in Ukraine and in terms of what's happening with these cruise missiles and in the Black Sea. All of this poses the question to Russia, is this time we stop being cautious and incrementalist and we move to something much more direct and send a message to the West? If you go any further, it's real war. Alistair Crook, always a pleasure,
1: my dear friend. Thank you for your great work. Thank you for the time that you uh, share with us, your Quickly becoming a fan favorite uh, uh, for the judging freedom audience. All my best to you.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks,
1: Morris. We get it, Judge Napolitano. Oh, Jack Devine. A lot of you want to know where Jack is. Jack Devine uh, this afternoon. Let me just check the. Let me just check the time here. Come on, calendar. Yes, yeah, Scott Horton at eleven Eastern, and Jack Devine at three o'clock Eastern. We're going to play for Jack. Uh, what some of his former CIA colleagues have said about him, like their minds exploding when they hear what he has to say more as we get it, Justin Napolitano for judging freedom.